Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good to Think With. I'm Dr. Jonathan Vickers, and I'm joined today by Andrew Fullerton, a fourth-year SASA student here at the University of Western Ontario. SASA, S-A-S-A-H, that's the School for Advanced Studies in the Arts and Humanities. Here's how things work. For every episode, I flip through the pages of my brain to come up with a random topic, and a SASA student and I separately devise a response combining critique, information, and analysis, typically with an arts perspective. Mine will probably show why I got my PhD in classical studies, but my interlocutors have varied interests. The results we squish together into a crunchy research smoothie and serve it up for your enjoyment in the form of an off-the-cuff dialogue. There's no script here, it's just us. Today, we are talking about Star Wars. Part of what we wanted to do for this uh, was go our separate ways, think about something, and then come back. And uh, I know I've got lots to think about for this. I know you've got lots for it as well. So why don't you go first? I mean, I've got a bunch of things. I feel like for me coming to university, pretty much every class, I'm an English literature major, so pretty much every class I take in some capacity relates to Star Wars because Star Wars is so grounded in um, mythology or Western canonical literature, which is one of the really cool things about Star Wars is there's just so much to pick with it. Uh, most recently, I've uh, been taking a Paradise Lost course with uh, Professor John Leonard, who's an absolutely brilliant professor and, to my understanding, is kind of the most prominent authority on Paradise Lost today. Um, yeah, and I think for me there's this huge parallel between uh, the character of Satan in Paradise Lost, who goes on this effectively a tragic arc, but also sort of a heroic journey um, in a sense where he uh, rebels against God at the gates of heaven and then is banished to hell after a nine days fall through chaos and he wakes up. He's no longer bearing the name Lucifer, which was his name when he was an angel who stood by God. He's now Satan and he's uh, this demon and, and alongside him there's these other fallen angels. Okay, wait, let me, I'm just going to jump in because I have to. I'm going to guess. Anakin? How'd you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So totally, it's Anakin, right? And I think one of the coolest parts about that is you get the sense that that was very much intentional on the part of George Lucas. I feel like there's so many parallels and there's so many things that are so ingrained in Star Wars that it's difficult for me to imagine that Anakin wasn't written with Paradise Lost or Satan or at least that story of Genesis per Milton's account in mind. Interesting. I always think about Star Wars with sort of these broad strokes. And I'm reminded of a class that I took when I was in uh, my undergrad it was a myth course, ancient Greek and Roman myth, but there was just a little segment on Star Wars there. And our professor pointed out how Star Wars really does pick up some of these mythic motifs and these uh, storytelling ideas that exist in different cultures. And because of that, that's why I, I hesitate to put it in a box and say, you know, specific Milton parallels when I think that there are these big mythic symbolic aspects to it. You know, things like uh, the archetype of the characters, right? We've got the hero on a journey, and we know that hero is going on a journey. His name is Skywalker. He is not staying on Tatooine. Um, we've got the the parent versus the child aspect with Darth Vader and Luke. Uh, we have the animalistic sidekick. Whether you want to pick R2-D2 or C-3PO as Luke's sidekick, uh, or Chewie as Hans. We've got the princess in distress. We've got the magic item of the lightsaber, right? The wise old man in Ben Kenobi. And because of all that, I think that it's something that reaches pretty darn deep um, and connects with people in a very real way. I completely agree. I think one of the coolest things about Star Wars is how much there is for people to pick at. 
Um, there's people that have gone into theoretical physics because of Star Wars and Star Trek and things of that nature, but there's also people like you and I who approach Star Wars through a very uh, narrative-focused lens and who approach Star Wars uh, sort of looking for these archetypes and looking for these patterns. And I think for me the reason why I connect Star Wars to Paradise Lost and why I'm doing that right now is because Paradise Lost is also grounded so much in mythology and in traditional heroes' journeys, and it plays on those archetypes and those foundations. It's one of the things that makes Milton's Paradise Lost this timeless epic that people read hundreds of years later. And I think it has the same effect on, um, the exact same effect on Star Wars, and that people who grew up in the 70s grew up loving Star Wars, and I can still love it today as a 21-year-old in the 2000s. This is very true. There is a timeless quality. As you, you know, thinking about that timeless quality, it makes me wonder about how the impact of Star Wars might have changed. And let's keep this with what we were just discussing with, you know, the idea of a hero and the narrative. Um, I'm wondering to what degree we can call Luke a hero, you know, by 1977 standards or 2021 standards. And Luke, he's got interesting qualities. And I'm curious what you've got to say about this, whether you think Luke is a hero or not. So I think so much of how you interpret Luke as a character depends on whether you're reading it through just those first three movies, I guess four, five, and six in chronological order, or whether you're reading them with the prequel and using like the prequel knowledge that's established and as canon for that. So and if sequels you, too. <laughs> I mean, yes, absolutely. But I think if you look at just A New Hope and you start from there and just look at those, uh, A New Hope, uh, Return of the Jedi, like that trilogy, yeah. if you just look at that, I think you kind of have to see Luke as a hero. Like, it, it's it's very clear he's, Luke, as you mentioned, he's Luke Skywalker, but he's also this, he's the protagonist who faces faces evil in the form of Darth Vader, his father, and he has to sort of make a decision between falling to the dark side and turning to the light side. He has that that hero's journey, and he has that uh, really archetypical, or archetypal, excuse me, um, internal struggle that's especially mo- uh, prevalent in modern heroes of having to choose between good and evil. But I think if you factor in the prequel to that and you consider that he is the son of Anakin Skywalker and you think about Anakin Skywalker as a, as a character, and I'll preface this by saying it does depend on how you read the Holy Trinity or how you interpret that. Because part of the thing with Anakin Skywalker that's established that he doesn't have a father, right? He's born of the Force, which means Anakin Skywalker then is meant to sort of be a stand-in for a Christ figure to a degree. Like he's... The, sure, he's, he's messianic, Yeah. And then it means that Luke can't also be the son of God. So then you think about Luke and Leia, man, woman, born of the same father, just as Adam and Eve are. And then all of a sudden, it's not so simple. Luke isn't just a heroic figure. Now he's Adam, right? And now he's, but instead of being Adam, who is the first man, he's the last Jedi. He's the last of his kind versus the first of his kind. And his arc is, in my reading, completely different on whether you read Luke as a typical protagonist or whether you read him more biblically, as an Adam figure who is the descendant of God, but is not the son of God himself. I'm definitely hearing your English major background and Milton again here, or at least the way that it has informed your thinking. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. You know, there were so many spots when we were talking about Star Wars before um, that I completely agreed with you, and, and we were on the same wavelength quite a bit. And here is one of the only spots, I think, where my interpretation just shifts. And this I don't mean to put down your interpretation because I think that it's a, a really interesting view on it. But for me, because of that mythic founding for it, I think that it's something 
that um, defies description where you can put it into one box, right, and say that here is something that works perfectly with Christianity. Um, and, and maybe not works perfectly, but, we, you know, there'll be some stuff that spills out of that box. But because of that timeless quality and those strong mythic tropes, I really think that this is something that uh, has a much uh, wider appeal, a much broader perspective can be um, brought to this. Luke, to me, is not very much like an Adam figure. He's more of a... Um, He's, he's more of the myth hero for me still. And, and if I am here, I really will pull on my classics background. He's more like a Greek hero in myth to me, but with modern touches. And certainly there is an element here of uh, moral quality as opposed to the ancient hero where it's sort of, you know, go in and kill as many people as you can and people will sing your praises because, you know, you're better than everybody else. Whereas Luke does things for good or for evil, hence the light and the dark side of the force, right? Yeah, I, I still think this is one of the spots where I would disagree. But you've certainly given me a lot of food for thought. I suppose this is one of the things that does give Star Wars such a broad appeal, where people from how many different backgrounds can enjoy it? Um, because there are other stories in you know the mythic world that have messianic figures, that have the, you know the child of God, the virgin birth, right? This is something that we see repeated in stories around the world. And um, this is, to me, one of the things that brings us back then to the idea of Star Wars as sort of an ultimate epic saga, right? Something that has that broad-reaching appeal. Yeah. I mean, I, again, completely agree. Um, I'm going to lean so much on my English background right now just because I think with now three and a half years of study in this, I, I kind of can't see the world through any other lens. Fair. I just see literary tropes everywhere. This is why I went to classics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but I think thinking of that, there's also this, you mentioned the hero's journey before. We have a, a Gawain in the Green Knight, which for those of you who don't uh, are listening and maybe don't know, it's like a, it's an Arthurian uh, tale pretty much. You have, uh, so Gawain is a knight in King Arthur's court and this, um, and the, the Green Knight, this big intimidating figure, walks in and pretty much asks someone to challenge him. And uh, originally Arthur stands up, but then Gawain wants to prove his honor uh, to Arthur, who is the king and the leader of the court. So he steps up and cuts the Green Knight's head off. And then the Green Knight just picks the head up, puts it back on, and pretty much says, a year from now I'll see you, and we're going to do this again. So then Gawain goes on this hero's journey about a year later, going out and seeking out the Green Knight and fulfilling his destiny. I mean, the Gawain story plays on the idea of foreknowledge, which is a theme that we see in Star Wars. We have um, sort of Anakin has these visions of what could happen to him. We see that in that sense. But then we see Luke seeing it through his own father, knowing what's possible for him. And then to lean into this even more, we have um, Snoke in the most recent sequel, who's a character who is, well, Snoke, and then we find out that that's actually um, Palpatine. But you have this undead figure who basically summons people to him, which is this sort of parallel to the Green Knight. And the question is, like, what is the hero's journey? What are they trying to uphold? And all throughout Star Wars, what characters are trying to uphold, whether it's Anakin initially, whether it's Obi-Wan, whether it's Luke, it's honor, right? You're trying to hold up honor. You're trying to uphold um, the Jedi Code. All the while, you have this looming darkness and this fate that you know awaits you, and you have no other choice but to approach it. One of the things I love about your interpretation here is that you are so proving the name for this new podcast. Good to think with. 
I mean, you're, you're doing exactly what I imagined we would do here. Star Wars is something that is very good to think with, and so is Gowan and the Green Knight, and so many other stories, you know, and I think that people listening to this might have other interpretations where they could say something like, oh, I've always thought of Star Wars in connection with this or that. And I don't have another direct response to what you said about Gawain, but I do want to keep thinking about narratives and genres because this is something else that I was thinking about too as we prep for this. The original trilogy, to me, is an epic saga, right? And it does fit nicely with the Arthurian legend, that kind of a story. The prequels, to me, were always something of a romantic tragedy in terms of the way that their arc plays out. The newest movies uh, are too eclectic for me to pin down, so I'm not even going to try to label what those are. Uh, But The Mandalorian is something we haven't talked about yet. And The Mandalorian, to me, in terms of genre, is more of a Western gunslinger with a mix of classic samurai movies and stuff like that. And it is told in a very different way. Um, And because of its episodic structure, the genre here, you know, it's got that feel of a of a medieval ballad or something, right? You know, you can imagine somebody in a tavern going, listen all ye, for I shall sing the lay of Mando, the masked renegade on his many journeys through the stars, <laughs> right? Hearken now, for it is the way. <laughs> like, who knows, yeah. right? Um, and, and as we think about the different genres that we see in Star Wars, we again see that uh, multiplicity of interest, right? Where people who like different parts and different kinds of stories can engage with these in a different way. But, but that's me for genre. Um, curious if you've got anything on that. Actually, the whole reason why I got interested in the idea of Gawain in Star Wars was because of The Mandalorian. So for me, I very much sort of, in some capacity, read The Mandalorian as Gawain himself. So you have this idea of this sort of pseudo-anonymous um, protagonist. We don't really know much about The Mandalorian. And in the same way, we don't get a lot of insights into Gawain as a person himself what we learn about is the code that he's trying to uphold and um there's this interesting thing in Gawain where he pretty much he has this one small deceit that basically means that he betrays his honor and for that reason he gets this and he has this sort of green cloth that's given to him to represent that that he carries with him on his journey and I think the Mandalorian um his journey to sort of collect like this Beskar steel and accumulate the armor uh it very much emulates that Arthurian um, the Arthurian knight's journey of putting on your best suit of armor and going out, and it's not about you, you're sort of anonymous. I mean, the Mandalorian, you have that recurring phrase, this is the way. It's about upholding a Mandalorian creed and doing what's right and doing what's honorable. And he's a character who's trying to navigate this in a role as a bounty hunter, effectively, like in a wholly unnoble and unhonorable profession. He has this creed to uphold, and it's this his whole journey is this battle to it's it's a moral battle to uphold uh his values and uphold his the principles upon which the Mandalorian are founded. And I think Gawain ultimately gets to the end of his narrative and we find out that he's failed sort of and he's gonna carry this green cloth with him and all the other knights will wear it too to remind themselves of the dishonor that was brought upon them. But in the Mandalorian I almost feel like we get we get the opposite, and I think Lucas does this in a lot of ways. He does it in the movies, too, where where you expect the myth to go a certain way or based on the what is seemingly the uh, the root story for what Lucas is writing. I realize The Mandalorian is not a Lucas story, but it's the same universe. Um, you expect you expect The Mandalorian to fall or, or 
let go of his honor, you expect him to be met with the same fate. And then at the last second, he flips it around. At the, end, at the most recent episode of The Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker comes in and he hands off the child. He does what's right. He upholds his code against everything else that is offered to him and all the great success and wealth that's offered to him just to give the child up. So he is, paradoxically, an honorable bounty hunter. I would say that that's what makes him a hero. Right? If we, and thinking about that hero story, thinking about the different journey that Luke takes versus what the Mandalorian takes, it is so much of a hero's journey um, of our own time. Right? I asked the question earlier on, 1977 versus 2021. And the way that we can see the difference there is, I think, a reflection of the times as well. Right? The Mandalorian does have that strong moral code, but he also is given, you know, just the easiest way for audiences to cheer for him in Baby Yoda. Right? <laughs> How can you not yeah. cheer for the person that is protecting the child? And in thinking about how Mando does things versus how Luke does things at the very end, I think that we also see the difference in scope between those kinds of stories, between the epic and the gunslinger, right? The epic is the world of the ultimate heroes, the people who can do things beyond the capacity of normal mortals, right? That's Luke with the Force. And the way that he comes in at the end of the series, you know, lightsaber swinging, everybody's down. He does things that we've been waiting for sort of the entire two seasons of The Mandalorian because Mando is much more human, than Luke yeah. is. He's much more approachable, at least the Luke that we have by the end of Jedi, you know, and by the end of yeah. Mandalorian. And uh, the Mandalorian then becomes more like the everyday man, and it's someone that we can identify with, right? The person that, as a hero, protects a child. The person who, as a hero, upholds a system of honor, who does the right thing. And that's not to say Luke does, some, does the wrong thing. He's just by this point, so far beyond what anyone else is and what anyone can do that you can't identify with him in the same way. You know, and you actually have to wonder if that's not part of the reason why the Mandalorian effectively wears his helmet the entire series, takes it off on maybe one or two occasions, but it's when he's completely masked, you can't even, you can't see an inch of skin. It could be anybody underneath the cowl or the mask or the helmet, right? And I think that lends into the everyman character and also lends into your ability to identify Identify with the Mandalorian. He's, I, I think, especially for um, maybe young men to see someone who has a stereotypically tough exterior, but ultimately is willing to give up everything and give up his whatever wealth may arise from being a bounty hunter to take care of a child. Like he's, he very much breaks the stereotype of what, um, of maybe a potentially harmful, um, a potentially harmful present presentation of masculinity or what might be described as a. More, a more brutal, violent uh, presentation of masculinity, and he sort of subverts that. And he's an, a bounty hunter who is an incredibly gentle, everyman character. And I think, I think that's where Star Wars can almost get political in a sense, but where you see the effect of really, really great storytelling. It's not just sci-fi. It's not just a gunslinger. It's a, a show and a series that makes quite profound statements about things, I think. Yes, agreed. Um, the Mandalorian does a very good job of breaking gender stereotypes in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I'll agree with you there for sure. All right. Otherwise, I think that's just about the time that we've got for this podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for coming in uh, for the inaugural podcast of Good to Think With. And listeners, um, well, thanks for listening. Hope it made your drive or your chores or your work or whatever it is you're doing just that little bit nicer. Bye.